Hey, Mom, where's Dad? Oh, he's on the couch. You know, Dad believes that Sunday is a day of rest. Hey, Dad, my Sunday school teacher said that back in the old days, people made big, tall statues and stuff that they prayed to. Cows and things. Why'd they do that? Well, son, in those times, people worshipped idols because they, they really didn't know any better. Um, but, but we don't do that today. Now, now scoop back. You're, you're ruining the reception. Teacher says we do. She says that anything we put before God is an idol. Is that right? I guess so, but I really have to fix the TV right now. She says there are a lot of things that we can put before God and make an idol. Do you have any idols, Dad? Son... Have you ever seen me on my knees worshiping a ridiculous object? I would sacrifice anything to get the game on this TV. Well, thank you for being here this morning. You definitely look drier than the crowd I preached to last night, and I'm thankful for that. This weekend, we're starting a new series where we consider some of the things that we as Americans have difficulty uh, keeping out of the place God deserves. And I'm going to tell you two stories in this sermon about pearls, and here's the first one. There were these two upper crust women. They lived in the high society of their city. They were snotty, and they didn't like each other. And so they met at a party that their social circle would be invited to and one of the women had on a string of pearls and the second woman said in a rather snotty tone my dear are those real pearls to which she replied well yes they are and the first woman said well of course the only way I could tell would be for me to bite them and the second responded yes but for that you would need real teeth Now, we know that in our culture, we often pass off the fake for real, and there's no harm, no foul. And so we buy costume jewelry, and there's no problem with that. Or when I was in China, I went one day, and I bought a shirt for $4. It was cotton, and it had a little alligator stitched on right here. Now, you can buy the same shirt at the mall for $75, It's a knockoff, and we know that. Or you can go to New York City, and you can buy a pair of fake Oakley sunglasses for $10 instead of spending $200. But sometimes you cross a moral line when you try to pass the fake off for real. We would have a problem if someone wanted to give us counterfeit money. We disapprove of identity theft. If you get caught trying to pass around a fake diploma, it can cost you your job. But there's nothing that does more harm than when people accept false gods. Now, when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, the first thing he did was take them to the mountain and give them what we call the Ten Commandments. And I think... Those commandments are often misunderstood by people who think religion is all about rules and putting people in straitjackets. I want you to look at how God began that teaching in Exodus chapter 20. This is the first thing he said. I'm the Lord, your God, who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. 
Now, let's park there for just a moment. God is bringing them out of slavery. He's not trying to put them into slavery. And so the Ten Commandments must be understood as God's way to teach people how to be free. The Ten Commandments are not to restrict and bind, but to teach us how to enjoy a free life. And here's the very first thing God said. If you want to know how to live free and not in bondage, here's the first thing you've got to understand. Do not worship any other gods beside me. Do not make idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with any other God. Some years ago, I did a teaching here at this church on the Ten Commandments. At that time, my oldest son, Michael, was five and my daughter, Morgan, was three. And we thought it would be a good time to try to teach them some of what we called God's rules. And so after several weeks of work, I decided that we would test our results. And Michael actually did a pretty good job of remembering the rules that we had given to them in their ability to understand. But So I'm feeling pretty good about myself as a teacher. So I get my three-year-old Morgan and I say, Morgan, can you remember any of our things we've been studying? What are some of our rules? And she said, don't chew on things. I said, that's a good rule, honey. But I mean, some of God's rules. She said, don't white on the walls. So I'm not feeling very good right now. So I'm trying one more time. Okay, honey, think really hard. The things daddy's been teaching, God's rules. And all of a sudden her eyes got bright and I'm thinking, contact. She says, put your gum into trash. <laughs> so we did more work. And after a series of weeks... If you ask little Morgan, anytime, place, anywhere, what are God's rules? Here's what she would say. No other gods. And I was happy with that answer. Because if she can live the rest of her life under that one rule, she won't need any of the other commandments. And you'll see what I mean in just a second. No other gods. You see, an idol exists only if there's a more deserving God. You understand that? If there's a lot of gods out there, then there's no such thing as idol worship. If there's a lot of gods, then any form of worship of the God you choose is legitimate. False gods only exist if there's a true God to compare them with. Now, didn't God say there's other gods? Isn't that the first command? Okay, I want you to balance that with what God said in Isaiah 44. Look at this with me. This is what the Lord Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, says. I'm the first and the last. There is no other God. You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there's no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols to be their gods. These highly valued objects are really worthless. They themselves are witnesses that this is so, for their idols neither see nor know. No wonder those who worship them are put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God an idol that cannot help him one 
bit. You see, when God says, I don't want you to have other gods before me, he is not acknowledging the reality of other deities. He's acknowledging the reality that every man will give his heart to something. If you won't give it to God, you'll give it to something that will become your functional God. John Calvin was right when he said the human heart is an idol factory. And so over and over in the Bible, we talk about idolatry. It's mentioned over a thousand times. It's the number one sin mentioned in the Bible. It is the biggie. Get this one down. You won't have so much trouble with the others. Even a little letter like 1 John, the very last verse of 1 John ends like this. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, what am I supposed to keep myself from? Well, let's just explain what an idol is today. Because if you think an idol is just something carved out of stone, you're mistaken. And that simply represents the principle of idolatry. An idol consists of any time we exchange the creator for the created. It's when a created thing becomes the ultimate thing. In other words, we take something that's within the creation and we inflate it to the role of functional savior. And it is the root of all sin. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Satan said to man then and he says to man today, you can replace God with something else. Paul said in Romans 1, when he explains why men have become so depraved and there's hardly anything wicked the human mind can't think of. He said it started with this. They knew God, but they exchanged his glory for their own images. They replaced God. Look at what he said in verse 25 of that chapter. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. And so they worshipped the things God made. But not the Creator Himself, who is to be praised forever. Amen. Now, it would be easy to think, well, that's just what dumb, uneducated, superstitious people used to do. Isn't it interesting, though, in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, Paul goes into the city called Athens. Now, Athens was the most educated city of the world. The home of Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. No place on earth considered itself more erudite or enlightened than Athens. And that's where Paul found more idols than any other city he ever went to. Idolatry appeals to the enlightened. To those impressed with themselves. Because it gives us the illusion that I can replace God with something else and still retain control. The appeal of idolatry, see, is that it turns my wants into ultimate priorities because ultimately an idol is just a non-negotiable desire whether it's a stone carving or a tv set that's simply just the expression of a principle that i have in my life a non-negotiable desire i'm going to center my life on and here's the thing the desire might even be a good thing But it was not meant to be the ultimate thing. See, all the other commandments are simply expressions of the first. Don't have other 
God's. And so the commandment number four, have some Sabbath rest in your life. You know why we need that command? Because we will make work our God. Work is not a bad thing until you try to make it the center of your life. Then it will hurt you and it will hurt other people. Commandment number six, don't commit adultery. Sex is not a bad thing. God invented sex. But sex makes a terrible God. And if you try to center your life on sex, you will hurt yourself. You will hurt other people. Don't covet and don't steal. Is it wrong to want and have and enjoy nice things? God gave us the creation to enjoy. But if you make things your God, you'll hurt yourself. And you'll hurt somebody else. This is the essence of idolatry. An idol is birthed. Whenever I close my fist around a desire and I say, this is non-negotiable. And that desire, that idol, will become that on which I try to center my life. Why would I do that? Because an idol insists it can meet your soul's deepest needs. Our souls were made with legitimate wants. It's not wrong to have wants. You were made with a want to work and be productive. A want to have intimacy, even sex. A want to have food and to enjoy creation. Those wants were made by God and placed in you before there was sin in the world. But the great lie, it goes all the way back to the garden, is that God is in the way of you having what you really want. He said it to Adam, he says it to you and to me. He said it to Jesus. That was the essence of the first temptation after 40 days in the wilderness. He says to Jesus, turn stones into bread. Now, is there anything wrong with bread? Is it a sin to like biscuits? The temptation was Jesus. You can have everything you want apart from your walk with God. You don't need God to have the life you really want. See, an idol promises that it can do for you what God says only He can do for you. But here's the problem. Idols eventually topple. Life will knock it over. And you get hurt. And you hurt other people. Tim Keller in his great book, The Reason for God, says, here's what happens. If you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on your family and children, you will try to live your life through your children Until they resent you or have no self of their own. And at worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you'll be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose family and friends. And if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. 
You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life on pleasure, gratification, and comfort, you will find yourself getting addicted to something. You will become chained to escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you'll be constantly hurt by criticism. And thus always losing friends. And you'll fear confronting others and therefore will be a useless friend. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, you'll divide the world into good and bad and demonize your opponents. Ironically, you will be controlled by your enemies. Without them, you have no purpose. If you center your life on religion and morality, you will, if you're living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous. And if you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. That's what Paul meant in Romans 1 when he said God gave them over. They exchanged the glory of God for idols and God gave them over as an expression of his wrath. Despite what some of the preachers on TV say, who don't speak for most of us, by the way. God does not reveal his wrath by terrorists and hurricanes. God reveals his wrath by letting you chase your idols. That's what Paul says. Look again at Romans 1 with me. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. So they, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Do you remember that creature named Gollum in the Lord of the Rings series? Once an attractive, healthy young man, but he finds this ring... And it becomes the center of his life. He calls it my precious. And all of life is about the ring. And what happens? He becomes despicable. He becomes pathetic. Less almost than human. That's the wrath of God. And the tragedy is not just what we do to ourselves and to others, but all the years we waste with such empty souls. And that's why the Bible says, you better smash your idols, or one day your idols will smash you. See, an idol persists until it's named and exchanged for God's glory. That's what Paul said we did. We exchanged the glory of God for idols. Now, the word glory in the Bible means heavy. In other words, what Paul is saying is God ought to be the weight in your life. But the human heart's an idol factory You have something in your life that is heavy. And when it comes down to the chase, something makes the decision about which way your life will go. The answer is to figure out what that is 
and exchange it for the glory of God. Listen to Joshua's idle defense strategy in chapter 24. So honor the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua says, here's two things you got to do. Number one, you've got to re-choose God every day because it's a daily battle. Every day you have to decide what's going to be heavy in my life today. But number two, you've got to name the idol that's competing with God for your allegiance. Joshua said, is it going to be those idols? Is it going to be those idols? Is it going to be God? You've got to identify what's competing with God for the throne of my heart. That's not easy to do because we're good at deceiving ourselves. Let me ask you some questions to help you figure that out. What do you dream about? When your mind just starts to wander... Where does it end up? What do you worry about? That's a good indicator. What do you sacrifice time and money for? Whose approval do you seek the most? What brings you joy? Now, in the weeks ahead, we are going to name some of America's most popular idols. We're going to name an idol called looks. It's a big idol in America. We're going to name an idol called success. We're going to name an idol called work. Next week, we're going to name an idol called more. I think it's the most popular idol in America. That 300 million of us believe the lie. If I could just get a little more. But I've got to ask you. As we prepare our minds to consider what might have too much weight in our hearts. To be on guard against one thing. Whenever you do a series like this, here's what we often do. I say, you know, you're right, preacher. I'm letting that have too much weight in my life. Here's what I've got to do. I have got to start trying to squeeze Jesus back into my life. In other words, we don't want to get rid of our idols. We just want to put Jesus on the shelf beside them. Let me give you a visual illustration of this principle. Last summer, my wife and I visited missionaries in Mexico, and they took us one day into the mountains to this little village. And we saw some ruins of some ancient Indian peoples in the highlands of Mexico. 500-year-old ruins of this very barbaric people. They were very pagan people, and they worshipped idols. The Franciscan priests came along from Spain, and they conquered, converted the Indians. And I want to show you a picture of the mission that the Indians built with the guidance of the priest. And you see there a very elaborate baptistry right in front of a beautiful stone cross where the Indians would come down into that baptistry. They would be immersed beneath the cross of Jesus. They would become Christians. And you notice 
that beautiful building that they built right behind that cross. In fact, look at the next shot. I don't know if you can see some interesting engravings on that building. So I got a little closer and took another picture. Look at the next picture. That's a picture of the sun god that the Indians worshipped before the priests came. And on the other side was a picture of the moon god. Now go back to that first picture and let's see what we really see. When they went into that baptistry beneath the cross of Jesus, they were looking right at the sun god and the moon god. They had no intention of smashing their idols. They were simply going to add Jesus to the list. And religion becomes a way that we try to cope with life without actually centering our lives on God. The problem is that God is not going to bless the life where he's included, but he's not exalted. God resists all attempts to baptize our idols. And as long as we have other functional saviors, we can expect our relationship with God to be distant. And I hear people all the time, well, God just doesn't feel very close. There could be a good reason for that. Look at what God said to Ezekiel in chapter 14. Some of the leaders of Israel visited me. And while they were there, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. That's where the idol really gets set up. Not in a sanctuary, not in a house. They've set up idols in their hearts. They've embraced things that lead them into sin. Why should I let them ask me anything? Do you see what God is saying? You people want to come to church and you want to throw out your pleas to God and say, God, why don't you answer us? Hey, let's talk about your idols first. You come to me with idols in your heart and I'm going to stop right there and we're going no further. Anytime you try to press into God with a closed fist, the first thing God's going to do is say, what's in your hand? God is too jealous for you to let your little gods succeed. He said in the Ten Commandments, I'm a jealous God, in chapter 34, 14 of Exodus, do not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God is not willing to share you with another lover. You should be able to understand this. If my wife came to me next week and said, Rick, now I, I care a lot about you. But could I have another lover? Now you would still be my main lover. I would still spend more time with you than anyone else. But could I have one more? It wouldn't matter to me if she asked if she could have two or two thousand. Actually, the step from one to two is greater than the step from two to two thousand. Because I am jealous for the soul affection of my wife. And my jealousy is not a moral flaw. 
It is proof of my affection for her. Look again at chapter 34, 14 from the New Living Translation. You must worship no other gods, but only the Lord. For He's a God who is passionate about His relationship with you. God cannot be idle while you ruin your life chasing idols. And so expect Him to intervene and interrupt and engage you in some idle talk. I promised you one more story about pearls. Little Jenny was five years old. Sweet little girl. Went into a dime store with her mother one day and she saw some fake pearls for two fifty, and she was just enamored oh mama could I please get those pearls do you have that much money honey oh no but I'll do chores mama I'll work for them and so mama bought the pearls and Jenny did the chores and she got her prize and she loved her fake pearl necklace she wore it everywhere she wore it to kindergarten she wore it to Sunday school she wore it to play the only time she couldn't wear it was in the shower because mama said it would turn her neck green she wore them to bed. And every night her daddy would come in and read Jenny a story. And one night he said, Jenny, do you love me? Yes, daddy, I love you. Give me your pearls. Oh, no, daddy. Not my pearls. You can have Rosie. She's my favorite doll. And you can have her tea party set. But not my pearls. That's okay, honey. Good night, sweet dreams. And he gave her a kiss. And about a week later, he comes back in for another story. But says, Jenny, do you love me? Yes, Daddy, I love you. Give me your pearls. No, Daddy, not my pearls. You can have ribbons. He's that toy horse that Grandma got me for Christmas. And he's got the pretty long hair. And you can comb it and you can braid it. But not my pearls, Daddy. That's okay, honey. Good night. And he gave her a kiss. Well, he comes in a few nights later, and Jenny is sitting up on the edge of the bed. Her lip is trembling. And before he could say a word, she held out her hand and heard, Daddy, I love you. And she gave him her fake pearls. And Daddy reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a blue velvet box and said, Here, honey. And she opened it up. And it was her very first string of real pearls. Because that's what fathers do when they love their children. They want them to give up the fake so that they can have the real. And so what carries weight in your life? This is so hard to answer, isn't it? Because we've been trained since we were little when someone says, what's first in your life, God? Everybody knows that's the right answer. And so this morning, I'm not going to ask you what is first in your life. I'm going to ask you, what is second? What is second in your life? Because that's your competition for the place only God deserves. 
I've seen thrones of all sizes and shapes and colors. But one thing all thrones have in common, there's just room for one person. And no such thing as a throne pew. And so I want us to take some moments this morning and do some idle talk. I want you just all to bow your heads for a moment. Please just bow your head. And I want you to ask this question. What's second place in my life? After God, what do my heart go to? What does my mind think about? What brings me joy? What do I worry about? After God, what do I care about? More than anything else. And then ask yourself. If maybe. Sometimes. You're guilty. Of exchanging the glory of God. For your idol. God, it's so easy for us to deceive ourselves. Don't baptize our idols. Help us to smash them for Jesus' sake. Let's pray together. In you, O Lord, I put my trust in you. And as we sing, if you would like someone to pray with you about the things God's doing in your heart right now, I'd like you to go to our chapel, big cross there, and our leaders will meet you and pray with you. If you're ready to give your heart to Christ, to be baptized today, come down to the front and we'll help you do that. But we're going to focus our hearts on what's really heavy right now. Let's stand up together.